right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com in about 35 minutes from right now. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins the show in the 4 o'clock hour. We've also got some Bill Self audio to play for you today, some Joe Yesifu audio to play for you today. So it's a uh, packed show, but a short show. We're out early at 5.30 today for coverage of KU UTEP pregame takes over at 5.30 with tip-off at 7 o'clock. Hey, if I were uh, maybe busy tonight yeah. and I wasn't able, or maybe, would I, you be doing? maybe I didn't have mm-hmm. um, ESPN Plus. Okay. And I'm like, I really want to know what's going on in this game. And I can't mm-hmm. make it to T-Mobile Center. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that Brian Haney guy, David Lawrence, those guys are pretty mm-hmm. good. And that Greg Gurley guy is good. If I wanted to hear them, mm. where would I listen? You'd listen on KLWN, KLWN.com, or our sister station, 105.9 Kiss. You know what the most annoying thing about Me ESPN Plus? Asking question? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind that at all. That's good uh, plug, good promotion. The most annoying thing about it being on ESPN Plus for me, maybe not the most annoying, but a annoying factor. Um, like, I like Dave Armstrong and them, so maybe this doesn't apply. But I do actually enjoy sometimes I will mute the TV and play the radio broadcast, right? Oh, yeah. You can't do that with ESPN+, Plus, right? It's one thing if you do it with, um, I don't know, like live TV and the radio. The radio might be slightly ahead, but if you can but use like internet, a radio it's internet, it's behind. Yeah. So then you just pause the TV and you get them synced up. Well, that doesn't work with the ESPN Plus broadcast because it's behind even where the radio stream is, and you can't pause the radio stream on, like, KLWN.com to sync them up. So it's kind of frustrating that I can't do that because I tried to do that during the uh, KUTCU football game when the cameraman was, like, a 7-year-old um, who was just, you know, using their yeah, mom's that was iPhone. Fun. Yeah, Yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyway, uh, we all know we don't really love ESPN Plus. Uh, that aside, KU taking on UTEP tonight. UTEP obviously put a scare into KU last season. That was in Allen Fieldhouse. I had totally forgotten until um, – who? oh, it was Haney. Until yesterday when you were talking mm-hmm. to Haney, I'd completely forgotten about that game. That was a weird game because if you remember – Because it was a non-con in yes. between – it was in between the final Big 12 game and the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, they uh, had Baylor, and then that was going to be the regular season finale, and everybody was like, oh, no, the, the home win streak on senior day, like that that's in danger – and it was like, okay, great. They added UTEP. And I think they ended up celebrating senior night in the Baylor game anyway, so it worked out. But, like, they almost lost that game, which was funny enough. 67-62 was the final, and they got down. Like, that was one of those games where you get down, and you're like, okay, this is a problem. And then all of a sudden you're down 34-20 to at halftime, and you're like, this is very bad, but, you know, uh, let's give it some time. And then still, with 10 minutes to go, you're down eight points in that game. It was, I mean, it really, yeah. it wasn't unlike the... Uh the or uh, not Washington State the Eastern Washington game 
uh, in the NCAA tournament, although I don't remember the Eastern Washington game was kind of a two-man show. I don't remember one one or two particular guys going off against KU against Utah, but you're absolutely right. It was it was one of those like you know just I mean Baylor was the biggest win of the season for KU last year by far, and that that proved to be to hold up. I mean Baylor won the national championship. They gave him one of their only losses, um, and it was huge. But anyway, yeah. So yeah. So back back to tonight. They they struggled last time they saw one another. This is in Sprint or uh, T-Mobile Center, which some play, you know, they have struggled there yeah, before. That's so. the other thing. Although, does it change now? Was it the T-Mobile Center last year too? No, this is a new a new thing. This a brand new. new this it's year? more new. Yeah. So I mean, maybe that's the change, right? Maybe they just needed a name change, and you cleanse kind of some of the. I don't remember demons. them having huge issues at Kemper Arena. Mm, so maybe it's just the name I change. The, maybe the one game that I remember Kemper Arena being annoying was well, there were a couple, but. One uh, in 2 the the team that went sixteen and zero in the Big Twelve and was scoring like ninety one points a game, uh, made it to the Big Twelve title game, and that was in Kemper. And Oklahoma held them to like fifty eight points. Um, but other than that, I think Kemper was pretty friendly to KU. Obviously, Danny Manning would say it's very friendly, but Sprint Center, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, Something maybe the name it. change that'll be enough. Uh, the the one good thing for KU, UTEP does not have Bryson Williams anymore. Now, Suli Boom or Baum, I don't know how to pronounce it, hit 16 points for him last year in this game. He's back. He's a senior now. Uh, but Bryson Williams killed them last season. He had 23 points on 7 of 13 shooting. He added 13 rebounds. He had six offensive rebounds, uh, playing 35 minutes. He transferred. He's at Texas Tech, so KU will have to deal with him later this season in another regard. But as far as this game goes, not really the case. And, and UTEP hasn't been an ultra-impressive team. Now, they weren't really last year. They finished 12-12 and last season. They were kind of a middle-tier conference USA team. This year, they're 163rd on Ken Palm. They're 4-3 and overall, so it's not a game that scares you, and it's not even to the level of, like, even even some of those struggles um, that they've had at, at the Sprint Center in the past, now the T-Mobile Center, like, even though they've been teams you're not expecting to lose to and maybe you're 8, 12, 15-point favorites, there's still teams who like have redeeming qualities. Like Washington was a, a fine Power Five team a couple of years ago. That Davidson team in 2012 got, I think, a 13 seed in the NCAA tournament. So this one's a little more lower tier than that. Um, and, and UTEP, they have really struggled offensively. They're 227th in offense on Ken Palm right now. And get this, they are just 305th in three-point shooting. They are 303rd in two-point shooting. So if KU's defense struggles in this matchup, yeah. that's a bad sign. Yeah, that's you're 100% right. Um, I uh, Last week, we talked about, we. it wasn't about the T-Mobile the slash Sprint Center thing. It was about odd, you know, great KU teams having odd non-con losses. And I think the only one that, uh, uh, back to the T-Mobile thing slash Sprint Center, the only one of those losses that you turned out to be like, woof, that wasn't a very good team. Was I think that UMass team in the 08-09 yeah. season wasn't particularly good. But back to the point, I mean, you know, people, it's fun to talk, you know, curses and in, in sports are kind of fun to talk. I don't necessarily believe any of them. Uh, I do think there's something about a, a, a player getting it in his head and, and from that pressing uh, a little too much was causing them to, you know, maybe play a little tight or tense. But I, I agree with you fully. I mean, just to, to put it out there, um, so if, if something happens, we're not being reactive uh, tomorrow, rather we're being proactive today, 
yeah, you got to put it out there right now and say if if, if they struggle, um, you know, if, if they struggle shooting, okay, you could just say, well, it's an arena, although they shot pretty well in UBS arena mm-hmm. last Friday. But um, if they struggle shooting, you could say, okay, it's an arena, it's a different depth, it's kind of weird to get adjusted to. But if UTEP comes out and hauls off 80 points like Iona did, some, then that's a bad, bad, yeah. bad sign. And by the way, bad offense. that team. UMass team you mentioned is, is – Tough as a season they had that year. They were 138th in Ken Palm. This UTEP team is 25 spots lower. Yeah, and then and particularly like like you said on their on the offensive. I mean they're they're just flat bad offensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, that would be a bad sign if that happened. Which maybe that makes a good opportunity for KU to take a, a leap there. Um, the other side of the ball though, like I, I'm not joking. I, I this wouldn't be like that crazy, I guess. But KU could legitimately drop 100 points in this game if they shoot well tonight. Um, I mean, the UTEP put 95. Yeah, last week and, and had kind of a lull. The first ten minutes of the second half were kind of um, they weren't bad offensively, but they were kind of struggling. Yeah. So the UTEP head coach Joe Golding, he was at Abilene Christian last year, which was the team that upset Texas in the first round. And if you remembered watching that team, they they pressed and um, they tried to force a lot of turnovers. Well, UTEP's actually done that pretty well this year. They're top fifty in turnover rate on defense, so they are transitioning that. But um, you know what the negative, and this is why. You know, Bill Self doesn't like to press. It's the idea that you got to live with giving up easy baskets is the trade-off if they avoid the steal a lot of times. Well, if KU holds on to the basketball, that means they're going to get a lot of easy baskets. And here's an issue for UTEP. KU has been great so far this season at not turning the basketball over. Um, They are top 20 in the country in turnover rate offensively. And against St. John's on Friday, St. John's was a team that is top 20 in forcing turnovers. They only had 13 turnovers, which if that's your like high watermark for the year against a good turnover team, you're doing really well for yourself. So if KU just holds on to the ball, which they have shown a very good uh, affinity to do so far this year, UTEP has just left way too many easy baskets. They haven't defended well besides the turnovers. Teams are shooting over 50% from two, which ranks 212th in the country. They've shot well against them from three, and that all is against a schedule that ranks 228th against offensive teams. So they're playing bad offensive teams. They're still allowing them to shoot well. I would just say this. The over-under for this game is 140. I feel very confident that this is going to get over because I think, like, minimum. If KU has a bad shooting game, I still think they score 80. And I think there is a real chance they get 90, 100 points. In Bill Self's first year at KU, and obviously that was, you know, coming up on 18, 19, no, 17 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they play in the Sweet 16, UAB, because of their press, gave Kentucky the one-seed fits. Um, Kansas was the four-seed in that regional. They played UAB in the Sweet 16. Uh, Mike Anderson, oddly enough, who coaches St. John's now, coached that team. And Bill Self and his Jayhawks, with a pretty athletic squad, torched that press, and they won the game, I think it was 100-76 to or 100-78. to Another one that comes to mind and this is this is two sides of this coin. In the 08-09 season, Mike Anderson once again was the coach at Missouri. Uh, the press kind of gave KU a young KU team some trouble in uh, Columbia. Missouri won that game in overtime. That game uh, later in the year, when KU had more time to to gel and get some cohesion, that game was uh, on Senior Day, and I say Senior Day because it was an afternoon game in March. Same press, same Missouri team, same group of KU players. KU was up 42-15 to 15 at halftime. So, you know, you've seen examples uh, with this coach 
um, when when he has super athletic players who can take care of the ball, shredding, absolutely shredding um, presses. And then on top of that, you know, it's hard. You know, the reason you're giving up easy baskets is because it's very simple. You know, you're either either you get it, you get the ball down the floor super super quick, so it's two on one at the other end, or you know, you're you're not necessarily getting the ball down super quick, but you are. You know, the defense is moving their themselves at the exact same rate as you as the offense, so you don't have a chance as a defense to get set. So the offense is running their sets against a defense that isn't ready for it if, if you're pressing. So the press is a huge gamble, um, and if it works, it, it annoys teams. And even if you don't get a ton of turnovers out of it, if you're in their head, um, it can it can be annoying and, and, and hard to hard to, to let go of. Um, but it, if, if, if you have a team that breaks it, then typically you don't have much of an answer for it. And, and we saw that last week, you know, the last – through 31 to 14 in the last 10 minutes, KU went on that run. So I, I don't, I don't think you're far off. KU, yeah, KU can roll through this press. They've got the athletes to do it. it. You know, it's a question of whether or not they will. Yeah, I don't think it'll be as bad as the game a couple years ago where KU just murdered UMKC. Um, if you remember in that game, uh, David McCormick had 28 points on 14 shots. That was uh, that, that could have also been just a matter of athletes. Yeah, I yeah. Think UTEP probably doesn't have KU level athletes, but I think they have better than UMKC athletes. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I, I on a scale of uh, I don't know losing to UMass to that. I would say it's probably closer to the UMKC one. How it goes tonight, but yeah, I mean, if I don't know if it's that far. Yeah, I mean, but if if it's you know a hundred to seventy, I'm not going to be stunned. no. Did you know that UTEP owns the series lead here? Three to two. Well, so they KU should, the plucky they underdogs. Should, well, they it should be three to do KU because JoJo White was yeah, inbounds. Right. Um, um, but you know whatever. Go ahead and and give them the game, and so they can make a movie with them <laughs> down the road. I'm not bitter. I wouldn't even alive. Yeah, I know, I, right? You know, my parents were like eight when that game happened. I don't even know why I'm pretending to be bitter. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. Maybe we'll have. Uh, I might try to get David Lawrence on later this week for the show just to talk about the. Like the KU Missouri rivalry, and because you know nobody uh, getting it passed down from Don Farnborough will will give it to you better than David, and I'm sure he'll have some good stories on that. So maybe we'll talk to him about that. Um, but as far as the game itself, because of the fact that I do think it is going to be you know pretty favored toward Kansas, I think they're going to obviously score very easily. I don't know how much we're going to learn in this game if if you were plucking you know, headlines for what you could learn in the game. Maybe it's just, I guess you could just say each and every game is a new piece to the puzzle of figuring out the rotation. Um, it is the fact of how does KU play at the T-Mobile Center because we've seen the struggles at the Sprint Center before. Can Dave string together a second straight good game? Uh, how much does Joe Yesifu or other guys play in the absence of Bobby Pettiford? Am I missing anything there that you're intrigued by? No, I, I think you were. Um, Christian Brown maybe continuing mm -hmm. the, the outside shooting. Seeing how that does, but the only thing I was going to add is you kind of want our jobs to be difficult tomorrow. If our jobs are easy, it's going to be because this was either close game or God forbid KU lost it. Yeah, um, you know that's the only way you have something new to talk about in this. You know, if, if KU wins this game in the manner in which most people are expecting them to win, um, which I always I'm always going to be the type who's nervous about his teams. Mm -hmm. I just am. So I feel nervous saying that, but the fact of the matter is if you just look at it objectively and you look at the numbers and you look at the two teams, 
if 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 this game goes to plan, you and I will have to dig a little bit to find things to talk about because it should be a pretty um, mundane, big, big, big dominating win. And and hopefully the families you know that that, that live closer to Kansas City that don't make it to Allen Fieldhouse uh, get a good show put mm-hmm. on for them. Uh, real quick before we take a break here, I do want to mention that Emmett Jones it is officially he's leaving. We, we talked about kind of the rumors of him leaving yesterday. KU hired a new receivers coach. Well, it's official. He's heading off to Texas Tech, which brings him back to the state of Texas. He was at Texas Tech when Cliff Kingsbury was there. That's where KU got him in from. Um, here's just a list of players he was attributed to recruiting by 24-7 sports to KU. Stephen Parker, who since transferred. Andrew Parchment had that one really good year, then didn't really have the the quarterback and offensive line play transferred to Florida State this year Belton Gardner who had a couple of years and then transferred this year and then there's a bunch of guys who it's kind of a, a yet to be seen what they'll become at KU but certainly have been mentioned at different points or have been highlighted at different points and seem to have high potentials guys like LJ Arnold Stephen McBride Magic Rector Tristan Golightly Tanaka Scott Armaj Reed Adams Luke Grimm Ezra Naylor um, it, it's a good list of players but also I think it, it's fair to point out that maybe besides Andrew Parchment, who really left, uh, you know, after one good season but two total seasons, not many of those guys left that big of an impact on KU. But the thing is, that list of guys, I think, still leaves a ton of good young players. I mean, all those receivers are like freshmen, sophomores, to where if they're really good in year two, three years from now, we're going to be looking back, and, and that's going to be the final lasting impact of what Emma Jones brought to KU in future years. But as far as what he's going to be remembered for in his time as a Jayhawk, because it is bittersweet when a guy leaves, especially to leave in conference to another school like Texas Tech, and I think it's going to be a great hire for them, it is a little bittersweet to lose that guy. I, I still think you'll look back on the time that Emma Jones spent at KU, and I think the top aspect that you have to think of was how much he helped the program in a dire time of need when KU uh, lost Les Miles and, and had to fire him and, and had a new idea and you didn't know who the coach was going to be and then you did make the coach transition. You hired Lance Leipold. You didn't know how that was going to affect players. There were some kids that transferred away like Marcus Harris and John Terry, but he really kept things together overall. You kept Kenny Logan. You kept some of these guys. You kept some of these recruits and, and you kept KU from being ripped clean by the transfer portal and for that regardless of this being bittersweet again going to an intra-conference foe I think he deserves a congratulations and a good luck for really helping to lay the foundation here in 2021 yeah I think what he showed was was dedication and professionalism mm-hmm. um, it, it could have been easy to take uh, a, a number of other jobs when when things were more uncertain um, and he didn't do that and I, I think that took confidence from him knowing that okay I can stay for another uh year you know another season and, and have opportunities um and I I think uh it takes you know it takes a, a level of professionalism and and you know stick to itiveness to say well I signed up for this it's not the ideal situation but I'm gonna kind of take what life's given me and I'm gonna move move forward with it and he did that and KU is better off because Emmett Jones was here um, now moving forward, I, I think there'll be some fair kind of nerves, um, mm-hmm. like, man, he was really good. What do we do? But I do think if you have faith in Lance Leipold, my thought is if Leipold is up to what I think he can do, then losing Emmett Jones won't derail this thing. And if losing Emmett Jones was going to derail this, 
then it wasn't going to be a success anyway. Yes, correct. And that's nothing against Emmett Jones, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. if, if losing one assistant derails your program, yeah. then your program is not in good shape anyway. Yeah, I, Emmett Jones, great receiver coach, great recruiter, but again, I listed off those names. It's not like those were all of the most important players for KU, even though I think a lot of them will end up being good players. It's just the impact he had of, of helping in year one establish the foundation was obviously important, and uh, so good luck to Emmett Jones, but Obviously, when Texas Tech is playing KU, you're not going to uh, wish for that good luck as much. So, uh, This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. Matt Tate will join us in about 15 minutes on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. This weather update is brought to you by Jones Advisory Group. Money Matters, Sundays, noon. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Truck Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. We will have KU coverage in UTEP starting at 530 Tip-off at 7 o'clock. Joined now on a Tuesday by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Matt, Ochai has obviously been on the forefront of college basketball minds with his start to the season, but Christian Brown is quickly approaching with his performance really over the last four games specifically and then the 31-point game on the road against St. John's. If I were to give you, and and maybe you would even want to toss another name in there, I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, the probabilities of everyone and adding all the math together. An over-under, one and a half KU players who get some sort of All-American honors. So I'm not just saying first team. I'm giving you first team, second team, third team, and honorable mention. Over-under, one and a half. KU players on All-American teams at the end of the year? Yes. Okay. Oh, gosh. I'll go over, and the reason I will go over is because I think there's I think there's options. I mean, you mentioned Christian and, and Ochai right now, and certainly if their pace continues like this, they'll they'll be in the conversation. Um, but you know, as we saw last year, Dave McCormick was was pretty terrible for a half of the season, and then had a really good second half, and and you know if he's turned the corner earlier this year, and 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 maybe has a bigger role even he could possibly be in the in the mix uh for that same conversation and then of course uh remy martin's your your preseason big 12 player of the year which um made some sense but i always thought it was pretty crazy um but but he's talented enough for sure uh to, to get into that conversation if if uh things click and uh you know perhaps even jalen wilson there's people out there that would say Jalen Wilson's maybe this team's second best player when he's really humming. So that's five guys that that you could say things go right or their way or however you want to word it could certainly be, you know, third team honorable mention type guys. Uh, First or second is going to be a lot harder. But when you're giving me that third team and that honorable mention slot, I think, I think the chance of two of those five landing in those, in those positions uh, it's too good of a bet to, to pass up. So I will bet you one million. No, never mind. I'll stop there. <laughs> but but I'll take the over. I will take the over. Well, that was that was pocket change for you. I know. So 
I know you didn't want to bother betting a million dollars. It's just, you know, what's even the point? Doesn't get you up. Uh, we're talking with Matt Tate, Lauren Schurter World, KUSports.com. Uh, David McCormick as well had a really good game on Friday. Five, 15 points, 13 rebounds. You mentioned maybe this is him turning the corner. So how important is it for Dave in tonight's game, even though it's not against a great opponent or anything, just how important is it for him individually to string together another good game tonight? Yeah, that's 100% the deal, right? Like, confidence comes from from repeated success and and who cares who it's against i mean if they had emporia state and washburn on the schedule the next two games if he put up big numbers double doubles perhaps uh and and stack that on top of what he did against st john's that'd be three good games in a row and no one would think twice about saying that you know so you you may have to put the disclaimer in there if you were if you were really breaking it down or analyzing what it means or anything like that but from the perspective of a player's confidence, all that matters is production. And, and so, yeah, I think you, you, your confidence soars when you can follow one good game up with another or follow two or three good games up with two or three more good games and, and so on. So I, I do think tonight's big for him. And, and, and I, you know, Dave's smart, too. I mean, that UTEP team, even though they're coached by a different guy and have a little bit of a different look, um, that's a team that came into Allen Fieldhouse and almost shocked the world last year. And, and Dave played a big part in making sure that didn't happen down the stretch. And so uh, part of the deal that, that gave UTEP a, the chance to build, a, a, I think it was a double-digit halftime lead and, and really jumped all over KU early was the fact that one of their big guys absolutely went off and, and was almost impossible to guard that night. So those things are are. I'm sure still floating around Dave's mind. And, and uh, in addition to wanting to continue his upward trend here, he's thinking about, well, you know, last year, these guys kind of punked me almost. And, and so um, there's a little, I, I, it's stupid to call it a revenge factor at all, but, but, you know, maybe, maybe making up for, or whatever the word would be atoning for, for what happened last year and making sure that doesn't happen again. So he should be plenty motivated by, by the opponent. He should be plenty motivated by his arrow pointing up and, uh, and, and you know, he still has big goals and, and wants to be a big part of the reason this team is as good as they hope to be. And, and so um, no time like the present to make sure you you're, you're on pace to do that. And, and, uh, you know, St. John's was a very good game, but, but uh, that's in the past. So all that matters from here is what's next, what do you do for me tonight, what do you do next Saturday, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a big game for him, and in and, and, and some degree you could, you could say that, you know, about everybody, every game. But, but definitely for a player who's been struggling like McCormick was, um, you don't want to take any steps backwards. Who do you think benefits most from – an increase in playing time or role or opportunity amidst Bobby Pettiford's absence for the next four to five weeks? Yeah, it's such an interesting question because, again, there's so many options. I mean, I, you know, two that, that were talked about yesterday when, when Self was, was talking about that very thing were, were Joseph Yusefu and, and uh, Jalen Coleman-Lands. And, and while I, I get that, you know, that they're, they're um, reserves, who, uh, who who were kind of in that same boat as Bobby, looking for uh, a way to, to find consistent minutes and make an impact and come in off the bench and be a spark and, and all of those things. Um, so, so it makes sense why you would point to those guys because there were three and now there are two. But I'll be honest with you, one of the guys that jumped out to me when I thought most about this was Remy Martin. Um, I know he starts and I know he's a big part of this team and, and they have – 
huge, huge aspirations for what he can be for this team. But I think that might be be an opportunity for him too. I mean, there have been stretches of all of these games where Remy has, has been on the bench for a prolonged period of time. And, and you know, Joe and, and Jalen Coleman-Lands are going to get their chance, no question about it. And, and the minutes will be there now a little bit more than they were. Uh, I think both of those guys were averaging right around nine minutes, and, and Bobby was averaging 12, I think. So even if you split those evenly among those two, you're looking at 15 minutes a game potentially for, for those guys, which is a significant role. So, um, you, you know, they'll obviously get their chance. But if either one of them or both of them show that, man, we're just not there yet. You know, uh, Jalen keeps missing open looks. Uh, that's not going to put him in any kind of favor um, because that's what he's out there to do is knock down shots. And, and if he's not going to make open shots, you can't play him. And, and with Joe, a lot of his demeanor so far has been more passive and timid. And, and I think self called him a pleaser yesterday, uh, you know, wanting to make sure everybody else is happy and, and he's being a great teammate. And that's a terrific trait to have. But if you're known as a scorer and you're a guy that, that is expected to put up numbers, you know, you, you kind of have to put that behind you and, and, and get go into attack mode a little bit. So they'll both get an opportunity, but, but if, if Joe remains timid and, and if Jalen keeps missing open looks, um, you know, then, then they, they, they won't force feed them 15 minutes each. Uh, and, and at that point you got to find somebody else to, to kind of play those minutes. And, and I think that would make a lot of sense for that to be Remy. I mean, Remy's certainly capable of, of playing, you know, 30 to 35 a game on any given night or, or even consistently. So um, I, I don't know exactly what his, what his number is at right now. I haven't looked that up lately, but it, it, I would be shocked if it was 30. So, um, you know, that, that's a possibility too. I mean, I think that, that there's, a, there's a similar style in, in that Bobby was good going to the rim, Remy's good going to the rim, you know. So if you're looking to trade, you know, minutes for minutes in, in terms of the same type of player, don't overlook that one at all. Um, but if you're okay with, you know, Remy being Remy and doing what he's done so far and, and you just need somebody else off the bench maybe to, to continue to, to fill that role, then, then of course it would, it would likely be those two guys um, or at least one of them. But, but I do think that, that there's a, a big hope among everybody within that program probably that, that they can get Remy cooking a little bit and, and maybe, uh, you know, closer to being that, that dynamic score that he was at Arizona State. And, again, he doesn't have to have the, 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 the burden on him that he did there. So it, it's not like it's, it's a must. But, but if they can get that and everybody else can maintain where they're at too, I mean, you know, this team's ceiling just grows and grows by that. Yeah, and I wonder how much of an opportunity too this is for, for maybe Jalen because um, I know obviously there wouldn't be direct minutes lost by Bobby that would go to Jalen, but – if there's less minutes going to the, you know, uh, the the second guard out there, then maybe some of those go to, you know, you just slide Ochai up to the two and Christian up to the three, and now there's more minutes available at the four. I, I think one of two things is going to happen. Maybe both end up happening. I, I think either this is going to coincide with the time that Jalen Wilson starts to find a rhythm with the team and or Joe Yesifu is going to either establish himself as – a firm member in the rotation moving ahead or he's not going to take advantage of the opportunity and then once Bobby comes back he'll get the chance to do the same that's it right there I mean I, I you know you there's depth there's options there's there's an unlimited number of combinations you can probably look at with this roster but for me it, it, it really does 
seem like, and I haven't heard this from anybody, but, you know, the writing sort of seems like it's on the wall, that this next four to five weeks, if that's how long Bobby ends up being out, is probably make or break, at least for this season, for, for Joe. I mean, if he plays really well, then he's going to have a role moving forward. If he's nothing more than what he's been, then when Bobby's back, that's Bobby's spot, and Joe probably becomes a, a rotation victim at that point. And that, that's not negative either, you know. I mean, that doesn't mean he couldn't have really good years the next two seasons, you know. But, but as far as this year with all this depth and them trying to figure out how to pare down their lineup, um, if you miss your opportunity – it, 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 especially as you get closer to January and stuff, um, it, it's probably gone at that point. So I, I think this is a big four, three, four, five week audition for him, and 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 uh, I think there's a lot of confidence in him, and I think a lot of people believe he's ready to break through, um, but he's got to do it. And and if he doesn't, then when Bobby's back, um, I, I think they'll just they'll just run with him and 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 probably try to get that thing down to nine or ten by by making that kind of a an easy quote-unquote easy decision we're talking with matt tate lawrence journal world kusports.com so what is it tonight that you're maybe most looking for out of this game i don't know if it's something that we've already talked about with the lack of bobby pettiford or with david mccormick looking to string together a second straight game is there anything you're you're most keenly keeping an eye on in a game like tonight where ku is projected to win by so much and and maybe the the takeaways are going to be fewer and far between yeah, two things. Um, I mean, you know, number one, this is a team that, that you know, you want to see Kansas' defense take another step. They're going to need to by the time Big 12 rolls around. So I think after tonight they've got five non-conference games left, not counting Kentucky in January. So, um, you know, this is this is they've been great getting off the good starts and building leads. And then even the other night against St. John's, they let that thing get all the way down to three before they took over again. And, and so you, you, you certainly want to watch this team's development on the defensive end and see if if they can finally, you know, get a lead like that and then have that be it and not have to watch it slip away and then build it back up um, or, or save the day down the stretch or anything like that. So I think just because it's the Bill Self team and just because uh, they've had some issues with their defense so far this season already, I, th- I think you're always looking at that. But, but I think you look at it even more against a team that you're favored to beat, a team that, you know, doesn't really have – and look, look, UTEP's got a good lineup. I mean, it's, it's not like these guys can't show up and, uh, and and put Kansas to the test. I mean, there, there's no doubt they have enough talent, and they will be confident too, based on that experience in Allen Fieldhouse last year. So, it, it's it, you know, 20 point line is a little high in my opinion. But I think if you're if you're Kansas, that's what you exactly want to see, and, and you you want to you want to show everybody that that line isn't too high, and that that's exactly right because that's who you are. And the only way you do that is if you get off to a good start and you build that lead, then you clamp down from there and, and you don't give it away. So that's one thing that, that, that will be probably present for, for the next couple of weeks or, or maybe even months. But, but I think it matters more against these types of teams where you're a double-digit favorite and, and things like that. Um, and then, honestly, the other thing is just Christian Brown, man. I mean, you already mentioned him, but, but this, this last four years, um, He's been phenomenal, and and in addition to being really good and productive and efficient and all those things, he's just been a blast to watch. So I tweeted this. I think it might have been during the Iona game um, down in Orlando, but I, I just I, there was a lot of uh, a lot of lukewarm 
vibe, a lot of a lukewarm vibe about Christian Brown in the offseason. There were a lot of KU fans that were bumping him out of the starting lineup. They said he was kind of a, a bust. He was one-dimensional. There was not a lot of love for this kid in the offseason. And I never understood that now, then. And and if it if it exists at all still, I, I really don't get it now because I don't know how you don't watch that guy and just absolutely love how he plays basketball. I mean, he's tenacious. He's got personality. He's physical. He's tough. He's fast. He plays above the rim. He likes to play defense. He'll sacrifice his body. He can shoot it. He's cocky. I mean, there's there's just nothing nothing not to love about the way the kid competes. So um, I, I know a lot of fans have kind of backed off that stance, saying that that they do love him now. But uh, I never really understood the, the the vibe in the in the first place in the off season because um, I think he's been great his first two years, and I think he has made that jump that that Phil Self and others expected him to make. Favorite memory from covering. Uh the KU-Missouri rivalry, whether it's football or basketball? Oh, my. Uh, that's like a that's like a one-last-thing or, or right-out-of-the-gate tough question there. <laughs> Split it into the middle. Um, gosh, man, I, I don't even know if I have an answer for you. I mean, you know, those games at Arrowhead were always pretty fun, uh, and and I thought that was cool, uh, the, the way that, that, that they mattered especially toward the end there, um, you know, the, the 07, 08, that, that stretch, obviously. Um, that, was, that was pretty neat. I mean, e- even beyond basketball, those were, those were pretty cool games. Um, I, 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 thought, I always thought it was cool when, when Missouri would come to KU, though, too, and play football. Um, the crowd just showed up in a different way, man. And, and uh, they, they obviously do that in basketball every game for, for every opponent, and they turn it up a little bit for, for Missouri, too. Um, as we'll see on Saturday, I'm sure. Um, was just up there yesterday and today for a couple of interviews, basketball yesterday and volleyball today. and um, You know, the camp thing's happening. There's a lot of bodies sitting in there camping right now, and they're ready and they're waiting. And and uh, and uh, so that that's a, a glimpse into what Saturday is going to be like. It's going to be a lot of fun. But obviously you can't go away from the last basketball game in that building. I mean, unbelievable comeback, epic, epic epic game um you know the the the, the sound the vibe the the emotion all those things i mean it's almost like when you say best games of the bill self era and you you need to start you know after that one or after the memphis game even you, you know you, you, those are just such given given answers that you have to just kind of take it away so um uh, that, that's why I tried to try to dance around that one because obviously that's it. But but I think in general, if, if you know, if you're not looking for a specific moment, I, I I just think the vibe, Derek. I think it was I think it was really cool. No matter where that first game of the year was in basketball, um, you know, when when you, when they were playing each other twice and you knew it, whatever whatever happened in in Columbia or in Lawrence in game one, you knew it was going to have an impact on game two because you knew people weren't going to forget it, right? If, if some team got routed, that was still going to be sticking in their minds and, and, and a bad taste in their mouth, even if the game was two months later. That was, it was not like they were going to move past it or forget about it. And, and the buildup was there and the emotion was always there. Um, and, and, and that's the rivalry. You know, that, that's, 
that's going back to uh, to the to the beginning of this thing, and and certainly you know throughout the seventies and eighties and nineties and and into the two thousands and all of that. I mean, that that's the rivalry. It, it is it is you're not playing Missouri every night, but you're always thinking about those guys if you're Kansas. And, and if you're Missouri, you're doing the same. You're, you know, you're scoreboard watching. And if you see KU loses to Oklahoma, you're happy if you're Missouri and, and, and vice versa. So um, I, I think that more than any one moment, even though that last basketball game was so phenomenal, um, more than any one moment was just what that, what that rivalry was about, the vibe. And what it meant, and 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 why it mattered, and and uh, you know to have that gone these last ten years or whatever it's been nine years, um, you know that 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 it's definitely been missing because you you try to see people recreate that with K State or even this like weird Kentucky thing, and it's just not the same. And and, and so I, I think the vibe is is as much a, 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 about it as anything. I mean, it's just it just it matters to a whole different level for for so many people and. And, uh, and, and I think it's cool it's back. I don't think it'll be the same. I don't think it should be the same. I don't think you can expect it to be the same. But I do think it'll be exciting. And, and, I, and uh, you know, I don't think there'll be very many Missouri fans there on Saturday because this looks like a lopsided matchup. And, and uh, I, I don't know that anybody wants to come in there from the Missouri side of things. There'll be a few. But, um, but I think you'll see more, more KU fans down there next year than, than you will see Missouri fans this year here. So, um, you know, the, the the other memory that, that sticks out is the one we didn't get. To be completely honest with you, is is that 2012 year when KU lost over there and should have won, and, and Missouri lost over here and should have won. And uh, all I wanted, all a lot of people wanted, was to see the rubber match in the Big 12 title game, and it didn't happen. KU got beat in the semis, and Missouri ended up winning the title on their way out to the SEC. So that. To be completely honest, is 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 one of the first things that comes to mind when I think about it too, because there's no telling how incredible that game would have been, and uh, and there would have been a lot on the line, and it would have been, you know, that would have been the last one then. So um, all of it's pretty poetic, though. There's a there, there's a there's a lot to like about the the history and how it's been written and all of that, but it is cool. It's back and and hopefully it stays around for a while, and and hopefully they can get it going again as to, you know even close to the level that it was, but, but it's going to be hard because a lot of these young people and, and whatnot, as, as, as you move three, five, tw- 10, 20 years into the future, you know, you, you, the bulk of the people involved are going to have, have less and less memories about it because they weren't around, you know? So um, that, that's, that's going to be hard, but, but it, it'll, it'll take on a new life, a new chapter, and, and it, it's always going to be special. All right, that is Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Matt, thank you so much for the time as always, man. All right, thank you guys. Take care. All right, thank you to Matt. That is Matt Tate. Joins us on Tuesdays here on RCST. With Adam Brevet, I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. Kevin Flaherty will join the show in about 15 minutes from right now. Uh, we'll talk some college football with Kevin, a little college basketball as well. Uh, before we get into some college football talk, did you see that Monday Night Football game last night? Absolutely incredible. No, I uh, did not check it out. I, I heard and read all about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very impressive discipline by the New England Patriots. Um, I don't know. I, I, 
I don't know what to say. I'm always impressed. I think uh, Bill Belichick might be better than anybody at um, changing things up week to week. I think a lot of teams rely. They make game plans, but they still try to rely somewhat on their own personal schemes and what they do and what they feel is, is best for them. I think Belichick might be better than anybody at just changing things up week to week. Um, so good, you know, good for them. Um I'm not going to give them much credit for, you know, I think some people said, boy, it was just so, it was so ingenious what they did offensively. I don't think it was ingenious. I think it took, it was impressive because of the discipline it took. Um, I think it was pretty smart what they did on defense. And then the discipline to know that you have a defense good enough to hold them to 10 points um, and then do what the weather and their defense allows you to do. I, I was impressed. I mean, I, I've always thought Bill Belichick, uh, he does a lot of things that seem very boring, but he is so good at designing and, and completely changing things week to week. Um, it, I've never, you know, the, very few coaches can do what he can do in that regard. Yeah, uh, it was, I guess, impressive from that standpoint, but the game itself was, I mean, I I, it, I, I don't even have words to comprehend what happened. 50-mile-per-hour wins, it's a blizzard. Mac Jones threw the ball three times. Three of them. And they won. I, I don't understand. I, I just don't. Uh, like That's a game where, you know, it's supposed to be like a, if the Patriots win that game, it's like a statement that, you yeah. know, they have the best record in the AFC. They just beat uh, another good team. I did not view it that way. I viewed that game as like, okay, this is never going to happen this season again. No, I, I don't know how much of a statement it was, but I think it it was a statement. I mean, it, it just continued us. It, it continued um, the statement that Bill Belichick will always do what it takes to win. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did think it was funny, though, after the game, the the Bills head coach um, was like, let's not give too much credit to Bill on this one, which a little salty there. I, I'll do it defensively, not offensively. Yeah, yeah. But, you know. But, okay, it, well, then, if he's not getting credit, then that means you're getting a lot of negative credit because yeah, they, you're getting a lot they of blame. threw the ball three times and you could not stop them. I, I mean, I guess, you know, stop is... I believe know. the the last time uh, the Patriots won a game in which they did just that uh, was against the Bills in 2008. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay, um, I do want to talk some college football. Brent Venables is the new head coach at Oklahoma. Comes over as the D.C. from Clemson. Kind of reminds you of when Kirby Smart left from Alabama to go to Georgia in the standpoint of it's this defensive coordinator who is widely known as maybe the best defensive coordinator in college football, but he's stuck around this one spot for so long, for 10, 15 years, and he could have had so many different jobs, but he kind of just seemingly finally waited for maybe he was only comfortable leaving when you're making that much money to be the defense coordinator if it's the perfect job in Georgia, right? That's that's the perfect job. Um, Oklahoma, that's the perfect job for Brent Venables. Uh, Mario Cristobal is also going to Miami. This one, not a coordinator hire. He was the head coach at Oregon. Now, he's a guy who has ties to Florida. He's a, um, I don't know if his his parents are, are like both of them, or but he is uh, of Cuban descent, which obviously. Um, I was going to say, Ma- Mario Cristobal sounds mm-hmm. like a name you'd be more likely to hear in, in Coral Gables, yes. Florida, than in Eugene, Oregon. And I, I think both of these are very, very interesting. I, I'm curious which of these you find more interesting. Um, I guess, I mean, the, I, I kind of was resigned to the idea that, um, Venables was either never going to take a head coaching job or he was just going to take over for Dabo Swinney. 
once he left. Um, so that that surprised me somewhat. I think an interesting thought pro- not not thought process, but I think an interesting thing to look at with how fans are reacting in Norman is there. It seems like, and and I'm not saying this is even wrong because I think there's a good chance Venables could have a ton of success there. And Lincoln Riley, he was familiar with the OU program, but he came in. Bob Stoops had no head coaching success. So, I mean, it, you know, there's precedent here um, at OU for a coach to come in with no head coaching uh, experience and having a ton of success as the head coach at OU. Uh, but I think what's interesting is there is more excitement for this hire than there would have been if you, like, like, not even Sonny Dykes, because Sonny Dykes had already proven he was really bad when he got to the to the Power Five level. Let's say Matt Campbell. Like there, there seems like there was more excitement about this hire than there was about than there would have been for a head coach who had just done okay. Like let's say they hire a head coach who, you know, had never been to the playoff but had consistently gone to bowl games. I don't think there would have been as much success or much uh, excitement about that as there is about. Um, about Venables, even though he has zero head coaching experience. And I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, the message boards lit up. I don't know if this is anything to read into or if it's just a coincidence, but the message boards lit up because that plane bring, that bring, brought, if I can talk, that brought Venables back to Norman, I guess, stopped in Charlotte for a while. And there was some speculation um, on the, nobody reported this. This was all just people looking at the flight pattern and speculating on message boards that perhaps he was talking to uh, Joe Brady, the recent um, fa- recently fired OC of the Carolina Panthers who gained notoriety by being the passing game coordinator at LSU the year they won the international championship with um, Trevor Lawrence. So worth, you know, worth looking at, I guess. Um, but, you know, I think you're at OU. You know you're going to have resources. You know you're going to have um, a, a school that lets you put in, um, you know, spend as much as you want to find the best assistance that you can. Um, but I think, I still think it's a huge statement that, that, um, that Lincoln Riley left. And, and I think it was in, in large part because he didn't want to play in the, in the SEC. Yeah. So I think both of these have, um, kind of a, uh, an impact on the same conference, and that would be the ACC. Certainly, Mario Cristobal leaving the Pac-12, like that could have huge ramifications on the Pac-12 because um, how it was setting up, it almost felt like, okay, this would be kind of a two-horse race in the Pac-12, Oregon in the North, USC in the South. Uh, I don't know. That could still be the case, right? If Oregon makes a great hire, then that's still going to be the way. I've even seen the... um, the support from Oregon fans, they want Chip Kelly back, which that would be very interesting yeah, coming back funny. to Oregon. Yeah, yeah. that would. Um, so I mean, he's anyway. Got, he's, he's doing more than I thought he would at Oh, yeah. UCLA. Eight and four this year. So uh, who knows? May, maybe that ends up happening. But that could obviously impact the Pac-12. Certainly, Brent Venables, that could impact the SEC. That could impact the Big 12 while they're here. That could be a good hire. It might not be. I don't know. But the biggest impact to me feels like the ACC. Well, on one hand, for Clemson, you are losing Brent Venables. That is a significant loss to your team. He has been such a good defensive coordinator over the years for that team. Mario Cristobal now enters the ACC. He's been a dominant recruiter at Oregon. He has been a guy who has those Florida ties. I think this is a home run hire for Miami. I almost go as far to say over the next decade, Miami could win more ACC titles than Clemson does. I, that that might be big. I, I'm just happy because I've said many times about at, at any given sport, um, 
in any given level, there are certain programs or franchises that are when when they're good, the sport is better, and I feel Miami is one of those. So I I, I would love to see Miami back rolling again, um, and and it would be cool to have. Are they in different divisions, Clemson and Miami? Because if they are, that I mean, if they're both, if you get the ACC to a point where the the ACC title has two potential playoff uh, contenders in it, that would be really cool and. I think yeah, I, yeah I they would, are in different divisions. Yeah, okay. So I that that could be a lot of fun if you have you know Clemson is in there and they're ranked third in the college football because we assume they're going to get back there mm-hmm. with with Dabo Swinney. Um, but if, if you have the you know a deal where you know Clemson's three going into the ACC title game and and Miami's five, and you got you just figure the winner's going to get into the playoff. That would be a lot of fun. I think the ACC, I'm not sure how much Clemson wants it, but I think the ACC no. wants yeah, it. Yeah, they need it because they need that second team. And for so long, it was Florida State and Miami, and, and who knows, maybe they can get back to that. All right, uh, we'll talk more about these hires and some more college football with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. He joins us next. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. This weather update is brought to you by your York dealer, Dunco Heating and Cooling. FM. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins us now on the show. So, Kevin, Brent Venables takes the job at Oklahoma, the longtime defensive coordinator at Clemson. How, how similar is this hire to when Kirby Smart finally left Alabama to go to Georgia? And, and thoughts on this hire overall for the Sooners? You know, I could see some similarities there. I think one of the things that, you know, throughout the process, you know, from different people that I had talked to uh, that that kind of emerged was that people feel like the best way to build a national championship contender now is not to go the offensive route because they felt like you can find offensive coaches out there, that there are enough offensive gurus, you know, whether that's, you know, Texas Tech, you know, just recently landing, you know, the Western Kentucky, you know, offensive coordinator, whether that's, you know, Jeff Levy out there at Ole Miss, you know, who, who's supposedly headed to, to Oklahoma as well. You know, when you look around, you can find offensive gurus more easily than you can find somebody who's going to be a transformative defensive coach and who's going to give you sort of that physical backbone and the different things that you look for. And so from that perspective, from the perspective of, you know, obviously Venables has a pretty good read on on what it takes to win at Oklahoma, having been there before, having coached for and against, you know, Oklahoma. It, I think that it, it was a pretty good hire. You know, there are going to be some people out there who, wanted Oklahoma to maybe make a little bit more of a splash and do sort of what USC did when USC hired Lincoln Riley. But I think as long as you pair Venables with somebody who does bring that dynamism offensively and build a staff around that on the offensive side of the ball, I think this has a chance to be a hire that doesn't just win the press conference, which, you know, talking to Oklahoma fans, I think Venables did that. 
but also, you know, wins games five or six years down the line, and that's really what you're looking for when you make that hire. Um, I'm kind of curious. Do you know any specific stories about what Bob Stoops is like with his assistants? And the reason I ask is because um, Venables was obviously great at Clemson. Uh, we'll see how he is as a head coach. Mark Stoops has been good as a head coach. Lincoln Riley has been fantastic as a head coach. And locally, Mark Mangino, who worked for a year or two under Bob Stoops uh, early in his time at OU, was a Bob Stoops assistant. Is there something that you know about how Stoops is with his assistants that makes them um, so far, having been you know a lot of them, into really successful head coaches? Yeah, I think that a lot of it is the way that he holds them accountable. I, I think that he's not afraid to to give responsibility to, to different people. And, and I think, too, and this may sound like something that doesn't have anything to do with it, but I, I asked Mark Mangino kind of that same question because, obviously, he had come up under Bill Snyder as well and you know, and then Bob Stoops and kind of asked him what the difference was. And, and he said that Bob Stoops was, was much bigger into, you know, work-life balance. And, and so – you know, when you worked at K-State under Bill Snyder, you know, it was a lot more about, you know, you lock yourself in your office and you work, you know, work the long day. And it's not that they don't work at Oklahoma or work under Bob Stoops. That's not what I'm saying. But there were more efforts to include, you know, staff's family members in different activities. There there was more of an effort to make sure that, that they had some of that and I think some of that came from Stoops' own experiences with Bill Snyder, where he kind of said, hey, when I'm a head coach, I'd like to do these things a little bit differently. And I think that that's something that has carried over, and maybe they've found a little bit of success with on their own as well, is in addition to, hey, I'm going to hire you because I think you're really good I'm going to let you do your job, but I'm also going to hold you accountable for how you do that job. And, and you know, we're going to be detail-oriented in the process and, and all of those different things. But I think in addition to that, I think it also builds some assistant coach loyalty and some different things like that when you aren't necessarily locked away and don't have a personal life and, and don't have the ability to to kind of see your, your family members succeed and things like that. And I think that's probably part of it, too. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here. The other hire that happened since you last came on, I don't even remember if the Brian Kelly was before or after you came on, but uh, Mario Cristobal is going to Miami from Oregon. So another big hire of another big school to another one. And um, I think this has a pretty big ripple effect. Obviously, it could on the Pac-12, right? Like, who's Oregon going to bring in? And with USC hiring Lincoln Riley, are, are things ripe for the picking for USC to take over the Pac-12? I guess we'll see. But I, I'm most interested in how this all affects the ACC with the combination of the hire of Brent Venables leaving Clemson and now Mario Cristobal coming into Miami, which I, I feel like that is the perfect fit. I don't know how you feel about it, but if I were to say – more ACC titles over the next decade. Mario Cristobal at Oregon or Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. How, how close do you think those would come? Well, and I think even you know even beyond Venable specifically, you know maybe Dabo Sweeney's you know biggest thing it has been that staff continuity, right? Mm -hmm. You know it's 
it's been that he's had all of those guys and he's had them there forever and and that's that's a huge strength you know not everybody is Nick Saban obviously I mean from a success standpoint but also in from the standpoint of not everybody can succeed when you wind up losing you know certain key members of your staff and you have to go out and find the next guy and find you know the next group of guys and try to find success you know it's it's an interesting question because I think Clemson was found you never want to write a, a post-mortem on somebody when they're nine and three, right? Right. Where, where you're like, oh man, you know, they, they, you know, they really found themselves behind the eight ball or anything like that. But Clemson didn't really hit the transfer portal and Clemson hasn't done maybe some things that, you know, you would consider, Hey, this is, is maybe a must. You know, if you're going to compete in today's day and age, Alabama knew it needed another wide receiver, so it goes out and gets Jamison Williams and wins the SEC again. And I'm not saying they only won because they got Jamison Williams, but he was a huge part of that effort. And when you look at that, when you look at the difference in the way people are treating, you know, name, image, and likeness, you know, some staffs are, are really embracing that and saying, hey, this is great for our kids. Dabo Sweeney, I think it was yesterday, said that he does not believe that college football is is in a good place. You know, and, and you know, specifically was talking about the way money is flowing around and different things like that. And so I, I guess that's a really long way to say I would not be surprised at all if the non Clemson ACC titles, I don't know that I would give Cristobal more because I think Florida State has had you know, some success this year and is building in the right direction. I think Cristobal is a perfect fit at Miami. But I do think that maybe we're starting to look at an era in the ACC where we aren't going to look at it before the season and say, oh, it's it's Clemson's ACC to lose. I think there are going to be multiple programs in there that have the ability to, to win the ACC title on a year-in, year-out basis. And if Cristobal is able to build what he was building at Oregon because that was you, you hate to use too much of a you hate to use too much of a hey this is the way an entire conference plays but he was building Oregon in the manner of a team that was going to compete nationally with the running game with the way they bully you up front with the different you know with the talent they were able to get up front defensively and the different things that they do if he's able to carry that same model over to Miami it would not be a surprise if he were able to build Miami into a national title contender over the next few years well no ACC team in the college football playoff this year uh, thoughts on what occurred over the weekend? Thoughts on seeding for the college football playoff? Anything else that was outside of it um, that maybe you had a reaction to and, and how things kind of shook out over the weekend? You know, I know it, it seemed like people had some complaints about the college football playoff rankings outside of the top four. <laughs> you know, Baylor maybe being underranked a little bit and a few things like that. Let, let's let's be real about it. Outside of the top four, at least at this point right now, it doesn't really matter. You know, it will if they wind up going with the six team, eight team, you know, twelve team playoff, whatever they wind up going with. But I think they got the right four, and they probably got them in 
and pretty close to the right order. You know, you could maybe argue, hey, Georgia and Michigan, flip them, whatever, but they'd still be playing each other. And so Cincinnati gets in, gets rewarded for, for an undefeated season and, and winds up in, in the college football playoff. And and I think they got the right four teams. And so when you when you look at that, when you look at the fact that you probably had – you know, the the right teams playing each other in that four as well, you know, sort of all of the, the hand-wringing through the entire process, it, it worked itself out. And I think because of the way that the championship Saturday went, because, of, you know, with Oklahoma State losing and therefore not being in that group and and everything else, you know, it, it wound up being a fairly un, uncontroversial uh, uncontroversial reveal. Uh, the Heisman released their finalists. I think that was last night. And, you know, despite an odd year where it felt like maybe this would be one of the years where you have two or three defenders making it out to the Heisman and, and then maybe a defender would win the award ended up not being the case of the four finalists. Three ended up being quarterbacks is, is this just a quarterback award now? Is that just what we should call it? And, and what would you have liked to see? I don't know. Maybe you did like the, who all the finalists were. Um, did you, like them did you agree with them would you have somebody else in there what are your thoughts on the Heisman finalists Uh, I I was upset because I thought Will Anderson would have been my pick to win the Heisman trophy you know with the year that he he wasn't even a finalist with the numbers that he had for him to not I I understand if somebody else looked at Anderson and said hey he should win this year but I do not get how he doesn't get invited and I don't get how if you're watching Alabama how you would ever think that Bryce Young is Alabama's best player. And that's not a knock on Bryce Young, who who is very good. But at the same time, if you're really looking at it from that sort of standpoint, you know, I think Will Anderson really, you know, made sort of that defense what it was with his pass rushing ability. He put up the numbers he did, and that's not even counting the times that you know, he created pressure or, or different things like that. I, I do think, you know, maybe somebody put it the best way last night where they said there were kind of two lanes where, you know, Anderson could have found himself a Heisman finalist and both of them, he was splitting votes. And one of those is, Hey, the Alabama lane, Alabama is the number one team in the college football playoff. You know, he's splitting votes with Bryce young for a lot of people. And then the other one is, hey, the top defender, and obviously you're splitting votes with, with Aiden Hutchinson and maybe even splitting votes, you know, three ways in there. And, and so when you look at at all of that, you can see where votes would have been siphoned off that, that maybe could have been his. At the same time, we have never seen it, and people like to bring up Charles Woodson, but we have never seen just a pure defensive player win the Heisman Trophy. It's always come from one of three categories, and that is it's either been a quarterback, a running back, or an all-purpose threat. And, and as good as Devontae Smith was as a wide receiver last year, you know, he had, a, he had a return touchdown, and he did big things in the return game as well. And so we those are, are where everybody has fallen into. And so it's not necessarily just a quarterback award. It's it's pretty close. Obviously, you have to do something incredibly special. That you know, as Kenneth Walker found out, you know, to to get to that spot if you're not a quarterback. But at the same time, I, I do think that 
it's about time we really evaluated and looked at what we think the definition for the Heisman Trophy should be because it's so vague. You know, some people pick the most valuable player. Some people try to pick the best player, and it doesn't really stipulate. And so you wind up with with a lot of years where if there isn't a guy that jumps out offensively, and I think you could put this year certainly in that category – you know, C.J. Stroud is the one that that really kind of kind of blows my mind a little yeah. bit among being those finalists. But but yeah, it's uh, I, I think Will Anderson should have certainly been a finalist, and he would have been my my number one vote to win it too. Well, first of all, I mean, just to get on soapbox real quick, I don't understand <laughs> why they don't just. You know, I, I get they're like, hey, we're only going to send guys who get this percentage of vote. I think they should just lock into sending five guys each and every year. And if that happened, he probably goes. Because, you know, you're you're getting to send a kid to New York. It's it's five guys that's a round number. Like, just send five guys every year. I, I don't understand why some years it's three, some it's four, some it's five. Like, just send five every year. But besides that, I'm 100% with you on C.J. Stroud. Like, if you look at the numbers, you're blown away. But there are a lot of empty calories in those numbers, especially in games like Michigan and Oregon where you were down the whole time and you're throwing for 500 yards, but in the biggest passes of the game, when you were in the game on third downs, you're just missing guys, and you literally have maybe the best offensive line in the country. You have a future first-round running back. You probably have three future first-round receivers on the out. Like, I I did not understand that anyway, but... uh, It it, it was an Ohio State Collective Offense Award. I mean, they felt like... There had to be somebody from that Ohio State passing attack to go there. It's a lot easier to give it to the quarterback, especially when his production is spread out, like you said, over over so many uh, talented targets and all of that. And so he he got it through that. But if you were looking at, hey, this is this is strictly the best player, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that. Anybody, you know, who played against multiples of the Heisman, you know, if you played Michigan State, you know, your coaches were going in saying, you know, Walker is the guy we have to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it, period. Like, if we don't stop him, we may lose. And he pretty much single-handedly led Michigan State to a win over, over Michigan. And, and I'm not even saying that Walker needed to be in the top four. I'm just saying – when you com- start to compare Stroud to some of the guys outside uh, of that list, when you look at Anderson and, and Walker and some guys like that, you know, I, I don't think that he ha- his case holds up very well at all. He is Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Kevin, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, all right. Kevin, one last thing. Aside from 911, do you have at least five phone numbers memorized? Current phone numbers. It can't be like a jingle from your childhood. Current phone numbers. No, actually, I, I do not believe so. Like, I think I, I think I remember my college uh, or my uh, my home phone number from growing up, which you know we don't live there anymore, <laughs> so I don't even know if that number even still works. But I can, I can tell you this much because you know we have cell phones and all of this. I get the dirtiest stink eye from my beautiful wife, and we just celebrated our 13-year anniversary. Congratulations. I get, thank you, I get the biggest stink eye whenever we go to, like, a grocery store or something, and I know that the rewards are under her phone number, and I have to bring up my phone to look up her phone number 
to, to put it in. I, I get the, the nastiest look on that one. But, no, I, I don't think that I have five and I get in trouble for uh, – for not having that one memorized pretty often. Well, now you have a project. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's like, Kevin, you can name the the ranking of this team. Why can't you remember my phone number? But um, anyway, he's Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Thank you so much for the time, as always, man. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening in on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We're out early today at 5.30 for coverage of uh, KU and UTEP with pregame starting at 5.30, tip-off at 7 o'clock. We'll uh, finish off the show coming up next. This is RCST.